glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand if you would, Genesis 22, as we'll respect and honor the reading of God's Word, verses 1 through 14. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Thank you. You may be seated. I find very interesting in verse 12, after Abraham passes his test, he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not, and what's the next word say? Withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. It's been said in God's economy, giving is not measured by what we give, but by what we keep, or what we withhold from God. And if you want an illustration of that truth, in the temple one day, Jesus watched as people gave, and the the religious folk that were accustomed to giving came by, and you know the story, and dropped large sums of money into the treasury in the temple. And then a widow came who had two mites, and she dropped both mites in there. Now, two mites is worth next to nothing, about a half a penny to us today. But it's all she had. And the Lord Jesus said she gave more than all of them because she kept nothing back. That's That's the idea. So the truth is our love of God and our trust in the Lord, measured and demonstrated by giving, not necessarily money. Abraham's not giving money here today. He's giving something worth far more than money. He gave his son. And our love for God can be measured by what we withhold from God. I want you to store that in your mind, if you would, this morning. And ask what step of obedience, because I believe this, this is where obedience gets hindered in our lives. And I'm preaching 
especially to believers this morning. If you're here and you're not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a challenge to you to do so in this message. But this message is primarily to those of you who've already done what Abraham did in Genesis 15. You believe God concerning the new birth, the miracle-working power of God to birth in you a new creature, to save you from your sin through Jesus Christ. You've believed in the, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's a miracle, and the miracle he could work in you by saving you. And we are made righteous by faith. God counted Abraham's faith unto him for righteousness. We saw that last week. And that's where we find Abraham today. He's a righteous man living in obedience to a righteous God. And what happens is God calls upon him to obey. That obedience is going to cost him the most precious thing to him in his life. So he has to make a choice. Do I keep what's precious to me? Is it going to be or is he going to be more precious to me than God? And by the way, that's not new. The Lord Jesus Christ would repeat this test in Matthew chapter 10, which we'll read, Lord willing, before the morning is done, where that if we're going to be his disciple, we have to love him more than anyone and everyone else, including ourselves, our parents, our children, our our mates, uh, so on and so forth. And so the test of our love this morning, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The question would be then, why is there not more commandment keepers? Why are there not more people today naming the name of Christ, living in circumspect obedience to Christ? And the Lord knows our lives today and he knows the application that needs to be made here. But the question would be, then what, maybe there's an area of your life you know the will of God, but you're not acting on God's will. The question would be, why not? Well, I think that could be answered if we said, why would Abraham not have obeyed God? Why would Abraham have drawn back and said, I know what God's telling me, but if I do what God says, I'm going to lose the most precious thing in life to me. Now today, what is precious to us may be different from person to person. What is most precious The Lord Jesus mentions the things that would hinder us from being his disciples, and almost every one of them is a human relationship. Almost every one. Father, mother, children, houses, lands, our own life also. I believe what Abraham is told to offer up represents all of those. Everything he had was wrapped up in this boy. And so I want to give you a few things from Scripture this morning. We have to backtrack just a little bit to bring us properly into Genesis 22 as far as context is concerned. So I want to remind us of a few things between Genesis 15, where we were last week in Genesis 22, where we are today, and begin this morning with with speaking of Abraham's comprehension of God. When we come into Genesis 22, Abraham, who is now Abraham, no longer Abram, is, is much more knowledgeable of God than the day he trusted him. Genesis 15, God made Abraham a promise. Genesis 12 even, he makes him a promise. He said, you leave Ur of the Chaldees and go into a land that I will show thee and I'll give it to you. God makes a promise. I love meditating on that promise and that commandment. With the promise came a commandment. You have to leave where you are. That's a picture of repentance, by the way. You're going to have to turn your back on what you're accustomed to, what you know, the gods you've known, the land you've known, the family you know, and you're going to have to leave them based on my word. And Abraham believed God and left her of the Chaldees. And Sarah says, honey, where are we going? He says, I don't know. We're leaving, but you don't know where we're going? Nope, we're going wherever God says. Friend, that's faith, amen? 
And he left Ur the Chaldees by faith, dwelling in tents, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. We read about that in Hebrews 11. Come around uh, uh, Genesis 15, and God says to Abraham, Abraham, he says, I'm thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And it's almost like Abraham says, that's wonderful, but you told me you're going to make me as the, you know, a, a, a great nation of me, and those who bless me will, uh, you'll bless, and those who curse me, you'll curse, and that my descendants will be as the stars of heaven, but I don't have any children. I'm paraphrasing. And he says, shall this, this steward of my house, this Eliezer, is this going to be, is he going to be my heir? And God says, no, I'm going to give you a son of your own loins, out of your own loins, from your own body. It'll be your natural born son. And Abraham believed God and he counted unto him for righteousness. Now let's move forward. Genesis 16, the process goes a little slow and Abraham's concerned that he's not going to have that son God promised. Sarah joins his concern and comes up with an idea that you can take Hagar, my wife, Genesis 16. They run from a famine, go down into Egypt. Uh, That was Genesis 12, Genesis 16. They have this woman, Hagar. They decide, we'll take Hagar. She'll be the wife. Then we'll fulfill the promise. It will be Abraham's natural-born son, just not Sarah's. And they step outside of God's plan for morality, God's plan for marriage, taking this wife. Out of that comes Ishmael. And for 13 years, you can read... Uh, When Abraham was 86, Ishmael was born. And then when Abraham was 99, Genesis chapter 17, God spoke to him again. 13 years of silence between God and Abraham. Abraham is learning about how God operates. Abraham has gone down into Egypt and lied about Sarah being his wife. God did not bless that. He exposed it. You know what he's learning? God is a God of truth. He will not honor my lying. He's just not going to do that. So he's realizing God is a God of truth. When Abraham steps outside of the bounds of morality, God is a God of holiness. He did not honor the so-called marriage with Hagar and the child that was born. God said, cast out the bondwoman and her son. What I'm trying to say is, between Genesis 15 and Genesis 22, Abraham is getting an education about who God is. God has made promises. Genesis chapter 18, God shows up with a couple of angels. The the Lord Jesus, you would, in Old Testament form, the Son of God, shows up. There's a couple of angels that commune with Abraham, tell Abraham about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You realize Abraham is learning about God because of how he prays in the end of Genesis 18. He very tenderly and gingerly approaches God in the fear of God and says, would you destroy the city for this many? And would you destroy it for this many? All the way down to ten, he, he entreats God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. If there's ten righteous in that city, and he is learning to commune with God, Genesis 19, he rose up and went to the place that he met with the Lord every morning, and he communed with God, and he saw the smoke of the city in Genesis 19 or Genesis 20. So then you have Genesis 19, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham's realizing God is a God of his word, both to bless and to judge. And so by the time we get into Genesis 20, uh, Abraham and Sarah go down into uh, the land of Philistia. And there Abraham tries the deceitful manner of life one more time. When he lies and says, she's not my wife but my sister. And it blew up in his face and he got rebuked by a pagan king. for not. And he's realizing God is a God of truth. God is a God of holiness. God is a God of his word. Genesis 21, Isaac is born. And the miracle that he believed God for in Genesis 15 finally happened. Between the promise and the fulfillment, Isaac is born, and he's learned much about God. Having just kind of given us this review, our first point is about Abraham's comprehension. This is what he knew. Coming into Genesis 22, these are things that by trusting God, and by times when he didn't trust God, Abraham learned about Jehovah God, who is the same as the person Jesus Christ. He learned, number one, of the faithfulness of God's promises. 
If God makes a promise, He keeps it. If He makes a promise to give a miracle child, He'll do it. You do not have to compromise or help God keep His promises. He has the power to keep His own word. Titus 1, 2 says it this way, God which cannot lie. God which cannot lie. Abraham had learned by trusting God that God keeps His word. He said, you leave Ur of the Chaldees, Go to a land that I will show you of. And he is roaming in that land. Uh, and, and, and there's part of that promise that was not fulfilled even when Abraham died. But in his life, he learned that if God promises a child will be born to me and Sarah, a child will be born. You could read of that in Genesis chapter 20. Let me just read that 21 very quickly. The first part of Genesis 21 says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. This is Genesis 21.1. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had said. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken unto him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And so at, when we come into Genesis 22, Isaac has been born. Abraham knows by faith and by the experience of trusting God that God's word can be trusted. God is a faithful God keeping his word. He learned of the faithfulness of God's promises, the righteousness of God's character. God is a righteous God, and He's not going to look the other way when sin must be dealt with. He saw that in Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw that in the command to put away Hagar and Ishmael. God says, that is not of me. Abraham tried to produce a godly thing in the power of his flesh, and it was a mess. And God said, put away. So Abraham had learned of the righteousness of God's character. He had learned of the sufficiency of God's power. The reason God can keep His word is because He's God. Is anything too hard for the Lord, Sarah was asked. When she laughed, when she was told she was going to have a baby, there in Genesis chapter 17, if she heard it in the tent or Genesis 18, she heard she's going to have a baby and she laughed. And the angel said, why'd she laugh? And Sarah said, I didn't laugh. He said, yes, she did. You laughed. Because the Bible says she laughed within herself. She didn't laugh out loud, just inside. And she laughed. And the question was, is anything too hard for the Lord? Yeah, so Abraham had learned that when God promises something, he has the power to perform. Romans 4 said, Abraham believed that what God promised he was able also to perform. All of this between Genesis 15 and Genesis 22. He had learned of the goodness of God's purposes. When God gave a commandment, he said, leave her of the Chaldees. God wasn't punishing Abraham. God was blessing him. When God said, put away a very difficult commandment, Hagar and Ishmael, God took care of Hagar. God took care of Ishmael. He fed them and God made some promises. said, I'll take care of them. But that the purpose of God was to keep Abraham pure, not to destroy. Romans 8, 28, Although it was not written, I believe Abraham knew it to be true. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Abraham knew all of these things. We could probably list a host of others coming into Genesis 22. And just between Genesis 15, where he's counted righteous, and Genesis 22, what I'm trying to picture here is the point between when a child of God comes to faith in Jesus Christ, believes the gospel. You literally, truly believe that Jesus Christ is exactly who he is, that he came to earth as God in the flesh, that he sufficiently paid for your sins, and that he rose from the dead. That's a miracle. And you believe that this miracle-working God can do a miracle in you. He can pardon your sins and give you eternal life. The day you get saved is real simple. But how many of you know that's not the end of getting to know God? That's just the beginning. 
Genesis 15 was a beginning for Abraham. And Genesis 22, Abraham's been growing in faith and growing in faith and realizing God's character is good. God is faithful. God is righteous. God is holy. God is merciful. He learned that in his pleading back and forth with God. God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if there had been ten righteous people in that city. What a merciful God. Abraham had a good understanding of who God was by the time he reached Genesis 22. And then we come not from his comprehension, we, or from his comprehension, we come into his commandment. Genesis 22, God has given Abraham numbers of commandments. And Abraham has followed through. Though he has not been perfect as far as sinless, he has been perfect in that he has fulfilled everything God told him to do. There was no commandment at Genesis 22 given to Abraham that Abraham had not obeyed. There is perfect in the sense of sinlessness. None of us will be that until we're in glory. But there's perfect in the sense of fulfillment of God's will. The Bible says, be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Our our Lord told us that. What does that mean? Leave nothing undone. I ask you this morning, as I did earlier, when was the last time God tempted you to do right? When was the last time he gave you a commandment through the scripture, perhaps through preaching and teaching, confirmed through perhaps your own study of God's word, and it became very clear to you what God wants you to do as his child? And my question is, has it been done? The only way to build your confidence in God is to act in confidence upon God. Your faith cannot grow unless there's obedience to his commands. The new believer in Jesus Christ, what the first thing he's told to do? Obey a simple command. Now that you know God has saved you, obey the Lord in believer's baptism. The believer who's been baptized is to begin to be faithful and find out how to serve the Lord and get in a local New Testament church and serve the Lord with God's people. And as you grow, then you're told, now go tell somebody else and tell them about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and clean up your life and put away the things that God doesn't want. Steps of obedience. And as we obey, we realize, oh, God can be trusted. I'll use an illustration that I've overused, but I'm going to overuse it again. Some of you may have not heard it. Most of you have. But I remember being a child, and I was terrified of water. That was one of the things that hindered me from getting, I got saved, and between my salvation and my baptism, I was terrified that if I got dunked underwater, I'd drown. I knew Christ had saved me, and I knew what I was supposed to do. and So I finally overcame that. But my dad would take us to a swimming hole, uh, and it was down at the 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 uh, the west end, uh, the west Obi of the, the west fork of the Obi River. That's that was where we go swimming. So we go down that river, and the water was about five feet deep where we would swim, and I couldn't swim. And my dad was a, a good swimmer, just fine. He would stand out in that water, and it was a rock. You could jump off into that water. It had a little bit of a current, and Dad would stand there, and he told me one day, "I want you to jump to me." And I just knew if I did, something bad might happen. I knew for sure I was this tall and the water was that tall. That I knew. And I thought, if I go in, I'm in, I come out. And I'm afraid of what might happen to me if I obey. Please don't miss the simplicity of this illustration. So many in the Christian life are stuck right there. Here's where I was. My dad in the water saying, jump. And I knew better than to say, no, that, that didn't bode well. You could plead your case, but don't say no. I'm like, Dad, I, I'm afraid. In my memory is I was crying. My dad wanted me to learn to overcome my fear, and I praised God for it. He said, jump. 
I said, Dad, please, no. And I'm like, eight, nine, I don't know, seven. Jump. No, Dad, I, I, please, no. And he finally said, now, you're going to jump. You trust me. Match some. There's some would say, what a mean dad. You know where the indictment was on that day? At a seven, eight-year-old boy, my dad had clothed me, fed me, and sheltered me, and protected me, and would kill anybody to save my life if necessary, including losing his own, and I knew it. You know where the indictment was on that day as I hesitated between obedience and disobedience? On me. Because I didn't trust a man who was worthy of my trust. And finally, I realized the right and wise decision is to jump. Now, my realization was I didn't like my backside hurting. That's just, I'll be honest with you. I I, I feared the chastisement more than I feared the obedience. And I jumped. Do you know what I realized after I jumped? My dad was big enough to catch me and wise enough to tell me to jump. I am 41 years old, and I've never forgot the lesson he taught me on that day because he required obedience. And he said, you know what? Had I never jumped, I think today I would say, what a mean dad I had who was going to make me jump that day, but I was smart enough not to do it. You know when I learned that I could trust him more? Not until after I obeyed. Now, Abraham is put in a position here that's a whole lot harder than jumping off a rock into five feet of water. I want you to listen to his commandment. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. I wonder if Abraham was expecting God to say, it's time to move again, because God had told him that before, leave her of the Chaldees. Maybe he's expecting God to say, "Um, I've got another promise for you. I don't know if he was expecting what came next, verse 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, Abraham had had to deal with getting rid of a son before, Ishmael. But he didn't have to sacrifice him. Abraham knew somewhere out in that wilderness his boy Ishmael was alive. He knew somewhere out there that boy was alive. This was different. How many of us think there's some kind of a mystical interpretation you can put on verse 2? God didn't really intend for him to... You know, He didn't really tell him to kill him. No, it's this commandment. Notice the simplicity of it. God says, take now. Not, not tomorrow. Uh, at least not down the road. It would be... This is night, obviously, because the Bible says he rose up early in the morning. And it would take now thy son, thine only son Isaac... There's no, there's no lack of clarity about what God wants him to do. You're going to take your son, the only one you have left. Ishmael's gone. He's not your son. From God's perspective, Ishmael didn't count. Thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Abraham understood this whole, you go and then I'll tell you exactly where to go. The simplicity of this commandment couldn't be clear. It was specific. It was concise. I want you to take Isaac. Abraham had offered numerous burnt offerings. Burnt offerings means when you're done, your son will be a heap of ashes. This is where most draw back and say, I will not serve a God that requires so much devotion. I will not. How many of you have ever been asked by God to literally offer your child as a burnt sacrifice? I understand God takes loved ones from us. I understand that. 
But I'm talking about it being my hand that removes his life, my fire that kindles the flame. I cannot imagine receiving... God has never given me a test like this. Never. I've been tested with many acts of obedience. Never any so requiring as this. Never. May I say this? Many times we know that an act of obedience, we say if I... God says, I want you to do this. Lord, if I do that, this loved one will never speak to me again. Lord, if I do that, my family won't talk to me anymore. Lord, if if I obey that commandment in your Bible, then I've got to give up a reputation I've spent 35 years building. I'll look like a fool to everybody. Lord, if I do that, it'll it'll ruin my finances. And so many right here upon the commandment are done. The commandment of God could have been far too taxing to Abraham. In fact, many would read this and accuse God of being overbearing. God is God. Can we all agree on that? God is God. In a culture that has a very difficult time with authority, we've got a hard time with that issue. Why should we obey God? Best reason I can think is because He's God. Best one I can think of. If He's wise enough to make me, He's wise enough to run my life. Amen? Oh, amen, amen. So the simplicity of the commandments, it's very simple, but it's significant. This is not a complex commandment. You're going to take Isaac? I'm going to tell you when, now. I'm going to tell you who, Isaac. I'm going to tell you where, Moriah. And once you get in the land, I'll tell you specifically which mountain I want you to offer him on. So there's a question. Please God or keep Isaac? Obey God and lose what's precious to me? Or is this the first time in my life I'm going to have to say, you know what? Obeying God here is just too much, too difficult. The price is too high. Now, we, I gave all the introduction for this reason. We are not talking about obtaining righteousness. Abraham already has that by faith. We're talking about maintaining fellowship. You with me this morning? We're not talking about obtaining salvation. Abraham believed God and God counted his faith to him for righteousness. But faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Faith that is not demonstrated by action is faith that is not existent. If I stood here and said, you know, about 30 years ago, 32 years ago, I stood on a rock and I fully trusted my dad. He told me to jump in the water to him. And I want to tell you, I loved that man. He was my hero. I believed in him. You're like, oh, so you jumped. No. I knew, that his, I knew that what he was requiring of me was too great. And I knew that it was too dangerous. And so I never jumped. But let me tell you, I trust that man. Would you believe me? Now, can I get real practical this morning? Maybe sitting here this morning, the Holy Spirit of God is working in your conscience right now, bringing one of his commandments or more to your mind saying, I've instructed you to obey me in this area until I act. My trust is nothing more than words. Abraham's commandment was simple, but boy, it was significant. Was it not? When Jesus said to Simon, Peter, and Andrew, come, follow me. Simple commandment. I don't think they realized how significant until later. 
When he said to James and John, come, follow me. They did. Simple command. It was later they would realize that would cost their very lives. My question today is, is God really worthy of that kind of obedience? Is he worthy to be obeyed to the extent of sacrificing my only son? Well, remember, coming to this, Abraham's comprehension. He knew the character of the one telling him what to do. It had already been proven. There was no question. So we've seen his comprehension, his commandments. A simple commandment, but boy, significant. Now, thirdly, as we've already touched on it, let's consider his confidence. How do we know that Abraham trusted God? By how he responded to the command of God. The Bible says in verse 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning. Oh, let us not miss that. He didn't say, "Mm, Lord, I need seven days to think on it. He, unlike many, after a message in a Baptist church, didn't say, well, I'll go home and think about what God told me today. I'll go home and ponder it. And if it fits in my plans, I'll probably move forward with obedience to God. No, he rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far off. Now he knows exactly which mountain. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and don't miss the next statement, and come again to you. Man's getting senile in his old age. How do you, what, was he going to bring the ashes back? He said, me and the boy, we're going to go worship, and then we'll both come back. That's what he believed. The Bible says, verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? This was such a custom in their home. Isaac knew the routine. We go worship God. We offer up a lamb as a confidence of the substitution of an innocent for the guilty. He knew how to worship God. They were looking forward by faith. Lord, there's, Dad, there's fire and there's wood. In fact, it was on his back. He said, but where's the lamb? Some say he was getting suspicious. I don't know if he was or not. He knew his daddy well enough, probably so. I can't read anything into the text. Here's what I do know from the text. Abraham is actively obeying what God told him to do, no matter how hard. How? By faith. This is what faith is. Faith is not believing what is best for you in the future. Faith is absolute confidence in God and his word. That's faith. Just just believe. don't, Don't just believe. You might believe a lie. Believe God. Don't believe anything. Believe the Bible. Don't believe anything. Believe the promptings and the dealings of the Holy Spirit in your heart as he applies Bible to you in a personal way. Abraham sits before us this morning an example, a reproof, a correction of our faithlessness. You know why God puts stories like this in the Bible? Because we think ourselves people of faith sometimes. God says, let's check the mirror. Let's see if that's what's going on in your heart. When God says obey and we know the cost of obedience, do we go, he's God? Or do we say, how unreasonable? 
here's what we would do in 21st century American Christianity. Well, it was at night, and I'm not sure, but the transmission of God's word from heaven to earth, certainly there had to be some loss of meaning in that. Certainly, as God spoke to me last night and he said, Isaac, he must have meant Ishmael in the Hebrew. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm trying to point out how we cover up unbelief. If you're sitting here saying, no, that's not, ah, ah, ah. Let's not leave here fooled and deceived. Abraham knew exactly what God meant when God said what he did. Let me say this. Let's not, let's not try to trick our consciences when God's word is clear. Amen? We do it. Well, God must have meant, well, what did he say? What did he say? How much of this Bible is plain enough, especially when God plainly applies it to our hearts and our consciences? See, Abraham knew the God giving the commandment, and so he moves in confidence. We find that the establishment of Abraham's confidence was what we already looked at. He had already noted God's word could be trusted. When God said, leave her, he obeyed. And it was good. When God said, uh, come up out of Egypt, he obeyed. And it was good. And when God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom, that must have been a hard thing for Abraham to watch. But he knew God was just and God was righteous and God was merciful. So now when God says, go sacrifice your son, there was not a question in Abraham's mind, should God be obeyed? He knew God should be obeyed. Therefore, the establishment of his faith was the word of God. Not just the existence of his word, but the faithfulness of God's word. And see, Abraham had trusted God's word and seen God keep his word. I believe this with all my heart. Abraham knew any God that can give a child to a 190-year-old woman will have no problem turning the ashes of that child into a living human being. We claim to believe in the resurrection of Christ, but how practically do we? If I lose my life, the life that I've built, the life that I've developed, the life that I'm clinging to, and I give it to God, because if I obey God, I'm going to lose the life that I've been building and maintaining. What will God do? He'll give you a life. If you save your life, you're going to lose it. The life you and I grip like this all the way till death, oh, i got this little life I've built, my miserable, complaining, happy little life. And boy, I'm going to hang on a little bit I God. You know what death does? Prize our fingers loose and we lose it. We got this little life that's worth nothing but death. And the Lord says, why don't you give that to me? All your future, all your dreams, all your hopes, all your plans, why don't you just give it to me? You know what Abraham did? You gave it to me in the first place. You want it back. You can have it. You saved this morning. Who saved you? the peace and the confidence you have, you're going to heaven. Who gave that to you? So if the Lord says, why don't you just lay that back on the altar? I believe what Abraham knew was, I wouldn't have it if God didn't give it in the first place. It's a miracle that I even have Isaac. So I must believe. See, Abraham knew this. God had made some promises about Abraham's future. He said, your seed is going to be as the stars of heaven. Abraham knew God was going to keep that promise. Well, you can't keep that promise with somebody that's dead. So he knew God's going to keep his word. So if I sacrifice Isaac at God's command, it will work together for good. Amen? 
Confidence was based upon the word of God. That's the establishment of it. The expression of it, he obeyed to the full. The only thing that kept the knife from piercing Isaac's chest was God said, enough, don't do it. Never intended for you to really kill him. I wanted to make sure and see that you truly trust me. God didn't know? Of course God knew. Now you and I know. Abraham can stand all day and say, I trust God. But you know what tells us he trusted God? He did what God told him. When God said, go sacrifice your son, he didn't say, no, that one's too hard. Lord, when you said left Ur, fine, I got that. I understand why you maybe didn't like my dad, and I understand why you didn't like the family I came from, and I understand why you didn't like the idols my family grew up with. I get that. And I even understand why you told me to get Ishmael out of the house. I did that, Lord. I get this one. But this commandment, this one to sacrifice Isaac, the gift you gave me? Why would God take something he gave? What a cruel God. You understand Abraham could have done all of that, but he didn't. You know why? He actually trusted God. He knew that if God commands it, it's good. He knew it. He knew. He see, he was he he comprehended this God, and so he he expressed his trust in God by doing what God said. That's the expression. He packed up, grabbed Isaac, goes up Mount Moriah. He binds him, lays him on the altar, and what I'm astounded by is that he had transferred his faith to his son. Any boy big enough to carry a bundle of woods is big enough to crawl off that altar. But he didn't. There's an entirely different message about Isaac as a type of Jesus Christ. We'll touch on it in a minute. The father willing to give up his most precious. The son willing to participate. Are you with me? You know how you and I portray the gospel to the lost and dying world? Talk is cheap and we should talk. But talk that's not coupled with personal obedience will never magnify Jesus Christ. When when obedience to God the Father is so important to us that we'll obey to our own cost, we are now magnifying Jesus Christ. And so here's Abraham, the extent of his obedience. He didn't get up on the mountain and say, well, I've gone this far. God must surely know I mean business. We'll swap Isaac for a lamb here at the end. That wasn't Abraham's idea. Abraham said, I will not stop until I fully obeyed God. He was fully prepared to do everything God told him. And he lifted the knife, as you know. And then we go from his comprehension to his commandment, to his confidence expressed through obedience. Let me read very quickly before we go to our final point, Hebrews 11, what we know Abraham believed. You see, Abraham believed in the power of the resurrection before Jesus ever even came to earth as a man. Hebrews chapter 11, we know for sure what Abraham believed and what he was convinced could take place if he went ahead and slew Isaac. That's why he was so willing to do it. He had confidence in the promises and the power of God. Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says in verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting, here's what he accounted, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. Meaning, as much as it could be, Isaac raised from the dead, and in Abraham's heart and mind, Isaac is dead. And he got him off that altar by a figure or a picture of the resurrection. This gives clarification to Abraham. Got a question. After Abraham gets up there and raises that knife to kill his son, and the angel says... Abraham, Abraham, stop. 
And he says, don't slay thy son. Now I know that thou fearest God. Now I know that you trust me. Unbind your son. He looks over in the thicket and there's a ram caught by its horns. And a substitution was made. Instead of Isaac having to die, the ram who did nothing uh, uh, to deserve that took his place. So again, the picture of Christ taking our place. And Abraham slew that ram. What joy must have filled his heart when he said, What a glorious God I serve to spare my boy. And give me this ram in his place. I'm going to tell you something. You'll never learn to love God outside of trusting Him. Do you think Abraham walked off of Mount Moriah less trusting in God or more? How many of you, it's a trick question, you know it, you want your faith to increase in 2022? Then take the costly step of obedience. It'll cost me. It'll co- That's not the question. Is it clear what God wants you to do? Is God's will clear? Are we full of a room this morning that has no idea God's will for our lives? Is the Bible so unsettled and the Holy Spirit so un- inactive that none of us know the next step of obedience? Some of us have been given an opportunity at obeying God, and we say, but if I obey God, it will result in my eternal unhappiness. Nothing could be further from the truth. If we obey God, we'll find out even more how good God is. As Abraham walked off that mountain, I can only imagine he didn't walk like a 110-year-old because he knew how trustworthy his God was. God says, I'm going to put you to the test. Do you love my gift or do you love me more? You know what? I praise God. God's given me. The Bible says a wife is a gift from God. I'm grateful for my wife. But God has commanded me, don't you love that gift more than you love me? God's been so good to my wife and I, given us ten precious children. Not precious because they're perfect like their parents, but they're precious. Precious children. And I love them. The Bible says children are an heritage from the Lord. But God says, don't you love the heritage more than me? God gives us breath and life and strength to labor and fruits for our labor. The Bible says, enjoy the fruits of your labor. But don't love houses and lands more than him. And if we love money, we're idolaters. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. Abraham comes off of the mountain with greater clarity than he'd ever had before because of God's provision. In the moment of faith, God provided himself a ram. Abraham, I don't think he had any idea how prophetic his statement was as he walked up that mountain. God will provide himself a lamb, my son. Did he have any idea how prophetic that was? No, but he just was living by faith. I believe God can be trusted. I'll obey I mean, I say this, if we rationalize ourselves out of obedience to God, we have stopped fellowship with God at that point. May I say this without any equivocation, without any apology. Your Christian life will proceed no further in fruitfulness and spiritual development than the last place you obeyed him. Period. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Boy, we can be hard on Demas, and rightfully so. So how quickly we can become one. Why did Demas forsake the ministry? Why did he forsake Paul? Why did he forsake the house of God? He loved this life. And I don't think it just means he loved things. I think he liked living. Most of us are attached to living. Demas said, if I hang around Paul, I'm going to lose my head. 
so I'll no longer hang around Paul. I'll find a different brand of Christianity than the kind Paul lived. Where it's at, folks. Faith. Do we actually trust God? If we do, we obey his word. When we obey his word, the Bible says the name there was Jehovah Jireh. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. We say all the time, seeing is not believing, believing is seeing. Do you know when God, when Abraham got a clearer view of God? After he trusted him enough to obey the difficult commandment. That's when he got a clearer view of God. Once he said, okay, God's his offering, I'll do it. Upon doing it, God showed himself better than Abraham could have ever imagined. It was not in Abraham's mind that God was going to say, well, once you actually pretend to do it, then I'll stop. No, Abraham, in his heart and mind, the boy was dead. What a miracle God did to say, I never intended for you to do that anyway. I wanted to see if you truly trust me. This morning, what is God putting in front of you to see if you truly trust him? Are you willing to obey him in this facet of life? In this facet of life? Is there some scripture that's very clear how it needs to be applied in your life? But I can't obey him there. People think I'm a fool. We could give all kinds of illustrations. I don't think that's what's necessary at this moment because there's so many varying applications to us today. God's provision opened Abraham's perception. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And you know what unfolded? A picture for us. Let's read it again. Abraham's trust, God's provision, Abraham's deliverance and the perception he was given opens up a clear picture of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross for us. The Bible says in verse 12, And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. That's called substitutional atonement. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Abraham left his tent that morning knowing this is a difficult commandment. God can be trusted. I know God can be trusted. And after he comes off, he said, I saw it. I saw God prove how trustworthy he is. Now I say this, your faith will either increase or decrease. That's going to depend on what we're doing with his commandments. As a result of Abraham's obedience, number one, we see the picture of salvation in a man giving his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know what? God knew what it was like to say, I have one precious son, and I'm not willing to just send him to pretend to die. I'm willing to give him up for you. God knew. He was not telling Abraham to do something God had already done in his own heart, giving his only begotten son. (laughs) Amen? So there's number one picture of salvation, a, a father giving his only begotten son because it was the right thing to do. But as Isaac is lifted off that altar and the ram is put in his place, we see the mercy of God in exchanging the Lord Jesus Christ in our place, deserving of the judgment of God. Instead, our substitute was put in place, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christian, this morning, there's no greater need in our hour than people to defend the good name of our Lord by honoring his word, by ceasing to withhold from him what it would cost us to obey him. Let's close with Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10.
The Bible tells us here in the end of the chapter, our Lord and Savior, the only begotten Son who had been sent into this world speaking. He, he says here in verse 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I uh, confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth, I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes should be they of his own house. That's household. That's a, a fulfilled prophecy from Micah chapter 7, verse 6. Verse 37 says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Boy, does that not compare to our text in Genesis 22 this morning? The Lord Jesus says, no, he's, look, again, Matthew 11, he's talking to disciples, those who've already been made righteous by faith. This is this, this in Matthew 11, Matthew 10, rather. This is not about salvation. This is about fellowship and fellowship. He said, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you. There are times my commandments are going to cost you relationships and reputation and riches. And if you love those more than me, you cannot be my disciple. In 2022, that's still true. And the Lord Jesus this morning, through the preaching and teaching of his word even at this moment, is showing us obedience in our lives at his command. And we know, but if I obey, ooh, the price, the cross to me. How many of you want to see God demonstrate himself strong. Your faith increase. Rise early and be at obeying. Amen? So why would a message like this be preached? For the blessing of God's people. How many of us are not seeing the reality of God because we're not trusting him enough to simply live our lives according to his command? You with me this morning? How about we know through the faith of Abraham. You know why Hebrews 11 is in the Bible? It's a great cloud of witnesses that tells us, live by faith. Live by faith. 